Poole Couch Podcast is a weekly conversation with Dr. Lakeitha Poole, a licensed professional counselor in Baton Rouge, Louisiana, about all things mental health and personal growth. The Emerald Couch Podcast is the go-to pop psych dialogue for self-help, good laughs, and real talk. This podcast is not meant to be a substitute for seeking support from a licensed mental health professional and is for educational and entertainment purposes only. For more information about counseling and therapeutic services, or for assistance in connecting with a therapist in your area, visit our website at www.smalltalkcounseling.com. Let's start the show. Welcome back to another episode of the Emerald Couch. We are moving right along in season two, and this is your host, Dr. Lakeitha Poole, here for another episode. Um, thank you guys, as always, for tuning in and for your support, your feedback, and your comments um, that you all leave on our social media pages and send us through email. Um, definitely make this show a success, so keep listening, keep letting us know what you like, keep letting us know what you don't like. Um, and make sure that if you haven't already, that you subscribed and you rate us on Apple Podcasts and on SoundCloud. And if you haven't, follow us on social media on Instagram, that's at Go Small Talk Counseling, and like us on Facebook at facebook.com slash smalltalkcounseling. Um, if you're interested in other ways to get to know more about what we do at Small Talk, make sure you check out our website, www.smalltalkcounseling.com, um, and share on your social media pages if you like what you're hearing. So we are back for episode 38. Um, This particular topic, I think, will be fun to discuss uh, for a lot of different reasons. But um, one, just with us adjusting to sort of our new schedule, it's so weird not talking to you guys every week, um, but every other week instead, which in some ways helps because a lot more happens in that time. Um, And specifically, I think I'm more just happy to be back This week, after spending the last week and a half uh, sick and shut in, as we would say here in the South um, and in the the church community. Um, So I had a sinus infection. You know, you guys know I'm here in Louisiana where one day uh, during winter and I'm using quotes um, around that. It could be 30 degrees, and then it could be 80 degrees, and then it could be 50 degrees. And that's literally what has happened over the course of probably the last four or five days. So if I sound a little stuffy, it's because I'm at the end of that, but I'm definitely sounding better than I did last week. So super, super happy to be back recording this episode. Um, I really don't get sick that often, and so of course... When I do, it's like a whole body reset, shutdown process. Um, And so I typically get behind on things and uh, it takes me a minute to catch up. But actually, it has not been that bad. Um, So I'm excited just to be able to feel normal again. Um, And adding this back into my biweekly routine definitely helps to feel like I'm getting back on track. And so, of course, there's no way I would miss getting this week's episode out. So I'm excited for us to get started. Um, So ironically, with talking about this topic, too, I was 
um, really inspired by it well before this last week where I found myself sick. Um, But also, I had a birthday, I think, since the last time you all and I were together, Um, which, of course, my birthday is my favorite time of year. But our topic today is about mental health and aging. So it's kind of right on time, like turning a year older for me is always very exciting. And all of my friends, particularly my close girlfriends, whenever birthdays are coming, I'm like texting and excited, like, oh, we're out, we're turning this age or can't wait to do this and turn this year. And they're all like mumbling under their breath at me about my excitement. Um, Cause I just really like birthdays and I think there's something of value about turning older. And so I was being much more reflective probably before my birthday came and thought of this topic and just literally jotted the topic down and didn't really know um, what was sort of evolved from it. And so I'm pretty excited to share with you guys what has. So, of course, since we're talking about aging, I mean, I think probably everyone, even when you saw this topic as you're scrolling through SoundCloud or on Apple Podcasts, you probably are already thinking like, okay, aging, like it's what comes with experience or you gain wisdom, or you have these life lessons. And so for the most part, we kind of view those as like the positive things. Um, But on the other end, there are also those things about aging that we dread, right? Like health concerns or loss of agility and memory. So physical things that physical ways your body changes, Um, a decline and just your overall well-being sometimes and happiness. Like with aging also comes loss and grief and things that we've talked about on this show before in other other ways, but um, all of those are also main parts of what it means to age. So for me, the question and maybe the reason why the topic even came to me was like, but why are we so afraid of it if we know we all have to experience it? And so one of the other things that we've talked about on this show is also being able to sort of embrace life and prepare for change, prepare for the unexpected Um, but also be okay with the unexpected. And so I know that I'm pretty guilty in some ways of this. So I always tell my family and friends that I don't care about anything else that comes with aging, but there are two things that for me, I would love to be able to maintain until I leave this earth. And that would be, I do not want to lose my teeth and I do not want to lose my mind. Um, Anything else I'm okay with. Lose my hair, I'll buy a wig. Um, your body's going to change no matter what. That's already happening. So being able to just keep those two for me will be great. However, I also know I don't really have much of a choice over that. There are things I can do to maybe slow that process or delay it, um, but there's not much we can do. So I wanted to spend today just sharing, I think, some overall like thoughts and stats that maybe will help us to think differently about aging, but also to um, embrace aging as a part of our life process and sort of No matter where you fall, whether you're 16 and listening to this or 60 and listening to this, um, you will feel that aging is one of the best things that could ever happen to you and that there's so many um, things to look forward to still at every age. So that is our hope for today so that we are no longer afraid of aging and um, to have an understanding of what it does to us um, and our mental health when we sort of worry and obsess about it. So first, a couple stats, as always. Um. Just in thinking about mental health and 
um, aging in, in adulthood. And so there's the latest stats that have come out from the CDC, so the Center for Disease Control and Prevention, and the National Association for Chronic Disease Disorders. Um, it's estimated, actually, that about 20% of people that are age 55 and older will experience some type of mental health concern. So, of course, anybody who's over 55 right now, when I say that, you're instantly trying to think, like, is that me? Well, that's not always the case. It's not an immediate thing. And it also depends on how you categorize mental health concerns. So a lot of times the most common conditions can include everything from anxiety and maybe more severe cognitive um, impairment and mood disorders to the simplistic things like we mentioned earlier, just general health concerns that can maybe cause depression or memory issues and memory loss that um, makes people worry a little bit about their aging process. And so um, it's a wide range. And so when you try to lump yourself into that 20%, which is not a huge number, um, you automatically put yourself in the state of worry and panic. So please don't do that. Um, what we also know is that mental health issues are often implicated as a factor in cases for suicide. So the older we get um, and we start to experience maybe some of these like health concerns, mental health concerns, um, depression seeps in, isolation seeps in, and it puts you more at risk for things like suicide. Older men actually have the greatest um, or the highest suicide rate than any age group. And um, specifically, these would be men ages 55 and older. So um, probably not anybody listening to this show, but being able to recognize that, you know, usually you've seen a lot um, by the time you reach maybe that point and being able to recognize that the signs and symptoms um, may go less noticed by family and friends when somebody reaches that age of 85. And so just being able to be mindful of that. Some of the things that play a more positive role in the aging process is things like social support. Um, it serves a major factor in how we're able to maintain our emotional stability. So being able to have a place to share problems, to vent your emotions out, um, all of that, you know, in the aging process specifically plays a positive part in being able to sustain um, mental agility and well-being. And so um, a lot of times when you are able to combine that with things like informational support, so um, you as the person that's aging, being able to offer advice, offer guidance to those that may be younger than you or in a different role than you have, um, that helps with your overall positive well-being. You feel good about being able to do that um, in combination with instrumental support. So this would be things like being able to offer assistance to an aging parent with housekeeping or providing a ride or vice versa. If you are that aging parent to have your kid come pick you up instead of um, having to figure out how to maybe find a ride or drive yourself, um, all of those things play a part. And so being able to really think about what that looks like for you, again, at any age and what role you play, um, depending on which end of the spectrum you're in, matters in this process as well. Um, adequate social and emotional support is also associated with reduced risk for mental illness overall, physical illness overall, and mortality rates. So the more that you become a more social being, a more um, emotionally stable being, um, you are decreasing all of those risk factors, which is great. And I think being able to think about, and we've talked on the show before about um, our wellness will back in season one, very, very early in the show, um, this idea of having this balance between all of your wellness areas creates an opportunity for you to be able to live truly your best life, but also to be able to have 
um, an eye on the areas that maybe you might be slipping in so that you can take care of that and not let them turn into sort of this hole that you've dug yourself into that makes it much more hard um, or much more difficult to get out of when that happens. So just being able to find ways to fulfill life satisfaction and um, what I think, too, a lot of people, speaking of life satisfaction, people don't necessarily even understand what that is defined as. And I think a lot of times life satisfaction for most people is just like, okay, my bills are paid. I woke up today. I have a good job. And that's kind of it. And it's really a little bit more than that. You know, it really is you being able to evaluate your life as a whole and how it is influenced by sort of all of those factors that weigh sort of heavily on us, our health, environmental factors, socioeconomic factors, social factors, um, how in balance are those things? That's truly where you get sort of this life satisfaction piece. And so then, of course, if you have high life satisfaction and yet you may still be turning a year older, um, you can sort of have that excitement about it because that will only increase um, those factors. Being able to know that you've gained another year of experiencing that to the fullest um, will hopefully provide a level um, of satisfaction, but also happiness um, that you can't really duplicate anywhere else. One of the things that I think also people maybe skip over in this conversation around aging as well is that oftentimes the older we get, we do find um, ourselves in, um, I guess, more chances or more opportunities that um, create frequent mental distress. And so these are things like, you know, an illness that may become becomes long term for us to have to deal with. Or um, I recently had to, you know, get readers for the first time. And so I've always been somebody who's had 2020 vision. And so having to really uh, give in to this process and this thought that like, OK, you have to wear glasses now in order to reduce strain in your eyes so that you won't actually need like full strength glasses for me was sort of like, oh man, this is like a permanent thing. This is a change that's happening. And so um, while I don't think I was in distress, I do understand that for some people when major life activities um, shift or change, it can create opportunities for either um, growth, which would be good and us being able to sort of see the good in that change, but can also create a lot of stress and distress, um, which is why it's in the name. And so sometimes this can like, interfere with some of the major life activities like being able to continue to eat well, maintaining the household in the way that you want, um, even working. So obviously, you know, people reach an age of retirement. And for them, that sometimes is a major shift when their identity is closely connected and tied um, to who they work for or what they've done for a living for the past 30 or 40 years. And so being able to sort of recognize that that creates a sort of distress stage um, that they have to figure out how to resolve. And then lastly, being able to sustain personal relationships. So we all know that the way in which maybe we develop friendships when we were in K through 12 versus college versus post-college, so maybe graduate school or your first job, um, looks very different. And then will continue to look different for friendships that maybe you develop in your 30s and 40s and 50s um, for the very first time, the things that you maybe consider important um, or that you may have a need of in your personal relationships may not be the same from 21 to 51. And so being able to recognize that too, while for some people can create distress, is also a bad opportunity for growth that we're talking about. And so as you pay attention to those things, 
um, and you're more mindful of it, it's easier to live with excitement about aging versus sort of being afraid. Um, And then the last piece around that from the CDC was this idea of like making sure that we also realize that the physical changes that happen um, definitely create opportunities for things like depression and anxiety to sink in because we're experiencing them for the first time. Um, And that can be scary a little bit. Um, And usually because of that fear, then we become more likely to engage in behaviors that ultimately end up contributing even more so to our poor health. Um, Things like smoking or not getting the recommended amounts of exercise or not getting, you know, proper nutrition and diet that has fruits and vegetables as a part of it. And so just being able to make sure um, that you're not letting sort of the changes that are happening in your aging uh, put you on a path um, that becomes more detrimental and becomes more um, emotionally draining than you actually would expect it to be or would want it to be, um, which actually ages you much quicker. So just something to think about from sort of, I guess, the physiological piece combined with mental health, because we talked a lot about that too. Um, On the other side of it, from uh, Psychology Today, because you guys know I love Psychology Today, um, what is predicted or what we know is that by 2030, the number of people age 65 and older is projected to be about 71.5 million people, of which that of that group, 10 million is going to be 85 or older. And so not only are people like living longer, which is wonderful, research has shown that most older Americans report having better health, greater wealth, and higher levels of education than older people in the past. So this is a great thing because like we were just talking about, the older that we get, We sort of feel like we're being more reflective about the things we didn't get to do, the things we didn't have, um, the way in which our health has declined. But what it's looking like is that actually um, older generations are are doing better than ever. Um, And because of this, sometimes we, I guess, in thinking about those of us that as we age um, are living longer, living healthier than other generations, sometimes we fail to make the connection between undertaking healthy behaviors now and what that impact um, can have or what impact that can have later in life based on those choices. And so research out there shows us that there are both physical and mental advantages to things like physical exercise, to maintaining proper nutrition, Um, screening programs. So you guys probably see this a lot. Like if you're walking through the mall or I work on a college campus, so all the time you see um, sort of the screening trucks that will come and check your glucose, check your blood pressure, um, take your blood so that you can sort of make sure you remember what your blood type is and, and kind of gain some um, perspective on where your levels are. Um, these can lead to a lot of preventative measures in early treatment, which can, of course, substantially reduce the impact of illness long term. So if you are able to maintain a healthy diet, stay on top of your annual medical visits and health um, checks and wellness checks, um, you have a higher chance of being able to live a healthier life, especially when it comes to things like nutrition. Um, a lot of times, nutrition actually influences the progression of many diseases. And so studies actually show now that good nutritional status can help reduce even the length of a hospital stay. Um, so how quickly you're able to recover from a slip or a fall. Um, and a lot of times, like my mom and I will also often joke if one of us maybe takes a slip or falls or hits our knee or something, Um, and she does this probably more than me, but we'll talk about the fact that like, 
it may hurt a little bit longer because she's a little bit older. And then for me starting to have those same experiences, I'll share that with her. And I realized like she was right. Like I didn't understand it maybe when I was a teenager or even in my twenties, but now being able to see that I also recognize that proper nutrition helps you have still strong bones, um, being able to maintain muscle mass, all those things matter. Um, and in the long term, definitely play a part in your overall health and well-being, which ultimately also affects your overall happiness. Um, so of course, because there's tons of assessments out there, obviously encouraging you all, I always encourage you to check in with a mental health professional, and obviously I'm still doing that, but also making sure that you check on those assessment needs around just quality of life in general. So health, um, mental health, but also being able to focus on things like financial wellness. That's why we've talked about that on this show as well. But just the areas that really, if you can have those things in check, your mental health um, has a better shot of maintaining a positive status regardless, because those are the things um, that usually are weighing on us and usually doesn't allow us to live fully um, feeling capable of balancing everything. So just making sure that as you age, you start thinking about what does it look like maybe to switch careers for you, having that second or third career, um, figure out what it means to be a lifelong learner, figure out what your leisure pursuits are. I think I shared with you guys on the last episode, well, the episode before that, our first, our season two premiere, um, one of my like leisurely pursuits is to roam around in home goods. And I'm actually going to talk to you all about that a little bit more on our small talk bookshelf today, but just figuring out like, what's your thing that helps you escape? Um, for some people, that's volunteerism or caregiving for someone else. And so just making sure that you are paying attention to those issues of importance that are meaningful to you, that sometimes we neglect um, as we start thinking about the future and we start aging and we start seeing our life shift and change and um, have to incorporate maybe other people and other things, um, we can lose track of that. So just making sure that you are thinking about that and considering that. And so obviously I want to encourage you to consider your plan for your aging today. I don't care what age you are. Um, you can totally lay a foundation for a life full of health, full of happiness, and full of continuous learning um, that will ultimately contribute to your overall mental health and well-being. And so I want to leave you all with two quotes that I absolutely love about aging um, because I just think they're funny and they're cute. And I think that they remind us um, that aging actually is one of the best possible things that we can experience. And so the first um, is aging is not lost youth, but a new stage of opportunity and strength by Betty Friedan. Um, and I love this quote because it's sort of making sure that we understand that aging is not about getting old or about losing um, our youthfulness, but it's about being able to step up to a new challenge of where we are at that time and develop a new sense of strength. Um, but also a new sense of value for who we are in those moments and at that time as well. And then my second quote that I love, um, nobody grows old merely by living a number of years. We grow old by deserting our ideals. Years may wrinkle the skin, but to give up enthusiasm wrinkles the soul. Um, and so again, and that's by Samuel Ullman. Um, I love that quote too, because it reminds us that we're only as young or as old as we think we are. And so if we desert our ideals about what it means to be vibrant, to be full of life, to be healthy, um, then we give in to what aging sort of from a social perspective tells us is supposed to be happening. When in actuality, we have to choose, we get to choose what do we believe about um, how we feel um, and how we age. And so my hope is that you all will 
consider um, thinking about aging differently, but that you also won't live in fear about what comes with that and actually gain some excitement about what it looks like. So cheers to aging, to more birthdays, um, and to a life of wellness and adventure from now until forever. Um, So that brings us to the end of our topic. And we will take a quick break right here and we'll be back with our signature segments. Hey everyone, we're back with our signature segment. Um, First up, we have our pop psych moment of the week. And I'm so excited because it's carnival time. Um, And for those of you who live outside of Louisiana or maybe just outside of the deep south, um, that means it's Mardi Gras season. And so I'm super excited that this time of year is here. Um, Even though as an introvert, Uh, sometimes it can be overwhelming and I'll talk about that more in a minute. But, um, the reason why I picked this for our pop psych moment of the week is because we're talking about aging. We're talking about ways to continue, um, to find vibrancy and life, um, in the small things. And so for us here in Louisiana, in particular, Southeast Louisiana, um, we get to celebrate Mardi Gras every year. Um, and so for someone who is a New Orleans native, which I think we take it to a whole other level. Um, Even though I live in Baton Rouge now, it does not compare to Mardi Gras in New Orleans. Um, It's one of the things that I love most about being from here um, because it's filled with so much culture and food and sense of community. Um, And so I really, really love it. And so I chose it as our pop psych moment of the week because I thought it was important for those of you who listen to the show from away um, to be able to figure out what in your own communities can you find that are maybe traditions annually or seasonally um, that you can kind of latch onto and make your own um, as you celebrate life and aging um, and being fearless. And so I'm going to share a little bit about kind of what Mardi Gras is to catch people up who aren't familiar. Um, And then for my Louisiana folks, you guys are probably just ready for me to not talk about this so you can head to your first parade with King Cake and all the fanfare. But Bear with me. Um, so for those that are unfamiliar, uh, Mardi Gras is actually the French word for Tuesday uh, with gras meaning fat. And so Mardi Gras is Fat Tuesday. And so in France, the day before Ash Wednesday became known as Mardi Gras or Fat Tuesday. Um, and so it's basically Mardi Gras has um, Christian ties, um, but also tied to pagan holidays before Christianity was founded. And so traditionally, in the days leading up to Lent, um, Mary makers would kind of binge on all the like richest, fattiest foods that they had for that time of year. So meats and eggs and cheese and lard, um, anything that remained in their homes, um, anticipating several weeks of only eating fish um, and different types of other sort of limitations around their eating due to fasting. And so uh, being able to sort of like almost clear their pantries out, that's where sort of that merriment came about. And so as a result, the excess and sort of debauchery is what people probably outside of Louisiana think it is when they look at it on TV um, of Mardi Gras season became sort of this prelude to Lent. And so the 40 days of Lent where we fast and um, choose a penance between Ash Wednesday and Easter Sunday um, is usually how... 
uh, we measure when Mardi Gras will be. So it's usually um, those days, it's 40 days before Easter, or 41 days usually before Easter. And so since then, um, there's obviously been a, so a whole historical evolution of what it's looked like that you can Google and I won't bore people with. But since then now we have you know, carnival cruise and it's still all the food and all the fanfare and all the merriment and bands and music. Um, but it's sort of just remained a fixture of the carnival scene throughout Louisiana. And so some of the customs now that are most common and more traditional that have lasted through the years are things like um, throwing of beads or having throws. Um, and so that includes other trinkets, um, wearing masks, colorful costumes, decorating floats, eating king cake. Um, all of these things are um, things that we love. And so Louisiana is the only state in which Mardi Gras is considered a legal holiday, um, but it is celebrated in other places like Alabama, Mississippi. Um, I know there is always like this turf war with us in Mobile, Alabama, um, about them having Mardi Gras before New Orleans did. And that may very well be true. But I think we all agree, including my folks from Mobile, that in New Orleans, we're just able to do it a little bit bigger and better. And so it just has stuck around um, and I think has sort of pushed this idea of why in Louisiana it's the only state in which Mardi Gras is a legal holiday. I know when I lived in Florida, I was miserable that I would be in class um, when I was in college uh, having to miss Mardi Gras. So I would get to come for some of the weekend uh, parades and during the season, but for Mardi Gras Day, um, for those few years, I had to be in Tallahassee. So um, in the United States and across really the world, you'll see carnival um, celebrated in a number of different ways. So New Orleans is the only way in which to do it, but definitely as a biased person, <laughs> one of the best. Um, and so, of course, each region has its own traditions, um, its own special events to celebrate. And so Again, I brought this up as our pop psych moment because while people often consider sort of the revelry and the costumes to be a bit outlandish, and like I said, I admit, like, as an introvert, um, it can be very overwhelming. I really have to, like, work myself up and get ready for what um, occurs over a Mardi Gras weekend and leading into Mardi Gras Day, but it is a great way for sort of the people within these communities, um, particularly in New Orleans, um, just to get to celebrate culture and family and community um, that one time a year in a way that we just don't get to the rest of the year. I know people assume that New Orleans is sort of partying all the time and in certain places where the tourists go, because you guys expect that, they absolutely do. But for the rest of us with wor working and day jobs, uh, that's just not how it goes. And so Mardi Gras is a wonderful time of year to get to sort of um, revel in that a little bit and celebrate the culture of being from such a unique place. And so um, for those of you who have never experienced that, if you're looking for some self-care and a great time, um, I do recommend at least once adding Mardi Gras to your calendar and come down and meet us here um, and be able to sort of experience what that looks like um, through the eyes of not just tourists, but through the eyes of the folks that live here. So really get into it and not just um, you know, do some of the things that maybe you see on TV or that you Google and you look up, but get with locals and really um, learn about what does it mean to experience um, carnival season from their perspective. So 
that is our pop psych moment of the week and your self-care mandate uh, for the year. So if you, again, have never experienced Mardi Gras, come down and see what it's all about. Um, but that's our moment for this week. And last up for today, because we don't have any Ask Dr. LP questions. So remember, if you do have those, submit them to us on um, IG, on Facebook, through the website, or you can email us directly. Um, but our small talk bookshelf for this week is a book that I am reading that I'm falling deeply in love with called Happy by Design by Victoria Harrison. Um, and I love this book because it focuses not only, it's a sort of a design book, an interior design book, which I think I've shared on this show that is one of my favorite sort of pastimes or like kind of passion projects of my own. Um, but it talks about it from the perspective of creating wellness-based spaces. Um, And so this, for me, again, is something that I'm really passionate about um, and definitely something that we are starting to incorporate into what we are offering through Small Talk Counseling. And so I'm I'm excited to get to sort of launch and share that with you guys soon. So when we have more about it, I definitely will share more about it. So just be on the lookout for it. But I love this book because it really walks you through the process of Um, sort of every piece that makes a room a room. So a lot of times we don't realize that even when we're asleep, um, our room affects our mood, it affects our mental state, it affects our overall health and well-being. Um, So things like having the right type of plants inside of your home to clear toxins from the air or um, certain colors that a room may be decorated or painted in um, and how that affects your mood and overall mental state. And so just being able to really dive into that and take um, sort of bit by bit um, a look at each of these areas, I just think is one of the coolest things. And so I've, I've really loved it because this person is not a mental health professional, but I don't know if she knows like how closely aligned um, some of the concepts and theories around design um, are aligned with some of the concept and theories around creating um, sort of environmental spaces and changes that feed your mental health. And so um, it's an excellent book. It's a quick read. It's an easy read, has great pictures and um, examples of ways to change your home around um, in order to be able to create these spaces. And so um, I definitely recommend it to anyone that is considering um, being able to redecorate maybe their home or their office. Um, this is something that I've spent the last few months doing in both of my spaces and has totally created um, just a new, um, I think, sense of freeness and clarity um, in both my home space and my office in a way I don't think that I could have made had I not had an understanding around some of these theories. So um, that is what is on my bookshelf right now. That is what I'm reading and diving into. Um, So again, Happy by Design by Victoria Harrison. Um, I think you can get it on Amazon. It's like seven bucks. Good book to pick up. Um, but really just being able to explore the role of environment on mood and wellness outcomes um, to feed those of you who have home goods and Pinterest obsessions like I do. Um, you definitely will love it. So pick it up today if you are interested. And like I said, we'll be talking more about that very, very soon. And so that's our small talk bookshelf of the week. So friends, that brings us to the end of another episode. Thank you guys so, so much for tuning in again. I hope that wherever you have listened this listened to this too, uh, whether that is on your commute 
are at the gym or in the shower or whatever um, has been made a little bit better by getting to think about this topic. Um, We still have so many cool topics ahead, lots of exciting things ahead this season, lots of new guests. I'm so excited about some of the guests we have coming Um, and just being able to know that you can always expect the unexpected in our topics as we explore mental health from all perspectives. Um, So as always, make sure you like, follow, and subscribe. Submit your questions for our Ask Dr. LP segment, and we will see you right back here next time on the Emerald Couch.